Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. Deal. We basically bought the land that had an old building in it, but the it was truly like location type deal. It was downtown Sacramento. At the time, they were building the Golden One Center. All this redevelopment was happening in Sacramento. So we knew we had great location. We never developed it. It sat there for a year and a half doing nothing. And then we sold it to a developer. And I think it was two years. I got like a 25 or 30% return in two years. Since you are here listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're investing with a group of people. Whether you're investing with family or friends or like-minded people in the left field investors community, group investing is a strategy that can get you into more deals, help you diversify, and go beyond what you can achieve by yourself. Before TribeVest came along, it was difficult to overcome all the hurdles associated with group investing. It was basically a strategy reserved for the wealthy. Not anymore. Now, TribeVest helps your group with everything from incorporation, collaboration, banking, and equity management tools all in a single place, so you can focus on building wealth with the people you know, like, and trust. I'm using TribeVest for all five, now six, of my investor tribes. It's a game changer. Check them out at TribeVest.com. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community. This is Tom Burns from Rich Life, and you're listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Really excited today to have Garrett McIntyre with us. He's the head of acquisitions at Rise Equity. Rise has about $10 million in commercial real estate under management and went full cycle with their first deal in 2022. Garrett, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Thank you, Jim. Excited to be here. Yeah, so the first thing I always ask is about your journey. Can you Talk to us about what you were doing. How'd you get into finance? How'd you get into real estate? And then how did you end up being an operator syndicator? Absolutely, Jim. I guess I got to go back a little bit and give you a little background on myself. Basically, before my W-2 life and where I am now, I played football my whole throughout high school, all the way through college. And then I was lucky enough to play professionally seven years after college. And so I, I say that because when I made it back to the NFL, that was the start of my financial journey because I made some money. I made league minimum for the three seasons that I played for the New York Jets. It was, for me, the most money I ever made. It was an amazing experience. Pretty quickly, you you have a nice bank account and you start getting calls from money managers. So that was my first intro. And I didn't. I knew a little bit about real estate. My mom was a real estate agent. My dad was in building. So there was a slight background. My mom had a couple rentals, but I really was not financially educated. I knew that I needed to save money and maybe invest my money, but I didn't know the vehicles. And so hired a money manager, great guy. I trusted him. He put all my money into the stock market. He bought diversified portfolio, as they all like to say. And I realized after leaving the NFL that 
he was getting me some okay returns, but I had no control. And frankly, where he was putting my money was in things I could do myself, i.e. index funds, low fee index funds. So as I actually posed the question to him one time and I said, hey, you're managing my money, you're putting in index funds. Can I do that? And he was like, well, yeah, actually you can. And I was, that was a light bulb moment. And he was like, to be honest with you, like guys like yourself who are self-educated and can do this ourselves. I always say, do it. Unfortunately, he was with Merrill Lynch. They forced my hand in charging the 1% fee. And I said, I understand. That's your job, right? And I said, with all due respect, I'm going to take my money and I'm going to go my own way with it. And he was okay with that. And so then it was, I joined the fire service after I left football. I was looking for stability. And when I got to the fire service, I was working with a gentleman and we started talking about real estate investing because I was always interested. And he, uh, he said, have you ever read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? And I said, no, sir, what's that? And so I am the classic. I read that book in about three days because I was fascinated by it. I had all sorts of real life examples of the rich dad and the poor dad. And it really struck home for me. Total mindset shift pretty much from that day forward. And then it was like, hey, have you ever listened to Bigger Pockets? Hey, have you listened to this? Have you listened to that? Check out this book, check out this book. So self-education on that part of it. And I've I fell in love, I guess, is an easy way to say it, with real estate. And that was the start of my journey, taking hold of my own finances, realizing that there's more out there than just the stock market index funds. There is this wonderful asset class of real estate, and there's it's so diversified in real estate, as we know. There's so many different places you can make money, put your money. And so that was the start. And then I did a few passive investments with some local operators, and they did really well with them. And then I wanted to become a active investor, I guess you would say. So I started with a fourplex in St. Louis with an old friend of mine. Then I did a single family out in St. Louis, Missouri. And then I jumped into a 38 unit, all active. And that was the start of my investing journey. That's great. I have a couple questions that I want to dig into there. So you said that, you know, when you're in the NFL, you're making good money, right? Even if you're at the league minimum, that's good money. And you found a money manager. And you said a bunch of people were calling you. And part of the challenge for all investors is to find trusted partners. So how did you, with all these money managers calling, because we don't have a whole lot of NFL players in our community, but we have a lot of high net worth or high W-2 people. We have doctors, lawyers, they're getting those same calls. So when you got those calls, how did you vet your money manager and find the one that you came to trust? Because it seems like he treated you pretty well saying, yeah, you can do this on your own. So how did you find him? He did. It was, I would say I, I had three or four to choose from, let's just say. And it was something about this gentleman. His name was Brian Rowland. I'll put his name out there. He was great. I think he still is working for Merrill Lynch. He, it was a trust thing more than anything. I'm and. I'm sure we'll talk about this more on this podcast, but it's, I'm a people first kind of person. And he struck home with me on the people side, the trust side. He came and met with me in person. He was super quick to communicate. So if I had a question, he would fire me an email back or he would call me. Um, it was a gut feeling. And what I've learned throughout the years is if I go against that, I usually get in trouble. So it was a it was a gut feeling, but it really was trust. That was the biggest thing, being above board on everything, quality communication, all those things that, that you need when you're entrusting somebody with your money. Yeah, you're right about that. And communication is key, right? Because if they're not going to communicate with you, how can you can't rely on them? And if you can't rely on them, you can't trust them. I completely agree with that. You also mentioned that the first real estate you did before you did active, you did some passive investments. Can you talk about how you found out about passive investing? And then how did you select 
either the operators or the deals. Because obviously, if you start out like most people, you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you find passive investing, and then you have no clue how to find prop really good investments. My first ones weren't that great. So how did you find them and how'd they turn out? It was by luck or fate. I don't know. I, at the time, I have a background in sports and training. And so I had a gym at my home and a gentleman found me through a God, some kind of ad that I ran. I'm training. I'm a former NFL guy. I help people achieve their goals. He came and he started working out with me. And and then I found out pretty quickly he did real estate and he owned a bunch of like small duplex, fourplexes. And he had done some commercial development out in my market, which is Sacramento, California. I would learn from him. So I would train him. I was helping him achieve his goals by losing weight or whatever he was trying to do. And then while we were working out in between sets, I was asking questions about real estate, real estate development. I built some trust that way. I'd probably been working out with this guy for six months before I decided to and then I and I was trying to bring him value and at the time I didn't really know what I was doing but I was like well hey man I played in the NFL I can help you raise money because I got an NFL buddies and I was really kind of talking out of my butt because I didn't really have that I was hoping that I could persuade some guys to come with me on this journey and I did I got a couple of investors to invest on a commercial deal out here in Sacramento and I will tell you, it was supposed to be a development deal. We basically bought the land that had an old building in it, but the it was truly like location type deal. It was downtown Sacramento. At the time, they were building the Golden One Center. All this redevelopment was happening in Sacramento. So we knew we had great location. We never developed it. It sat there for a year and a half doing nothing. And then we sold it to a developer. And I think it was two years. I got like a 25 or 30% return in two years on my first deal. Again, shot in the dark. It was a trusting of the people. It was people first. I trusted this gentleman. I looked at his background. Yeah, that's great. And it's always interesting how first deals pan out because no one knows what they're doing in their first deal. Because when I started, when you started, we didn't have communities like left field investors. Now I feel like there are not just left field investors, but other communities where people can go and get a little bit of advice before they just jump in. And so I think results are a little bit better. But I think you're fortunate that that you had a pretty good deal for the first one, right? And then that, then it's just contagious. You're like, I want more. Yes. Listen, like that we were in a bull market of all bull markets, right? Like the real estate market ran for 10 years. And I always like to share this story. I've Every person that I've talked to that's invested in real estate said, man, I wish I would have started three years prior. Man, I wish this. There's always people that got in two years ago. They're like, God, I wish I would have started three years prior. Well, guess what? If you got in two years ago, you probably did pretty good if you knew what you're doing because of the tailwinds of the economy. And we wrote this, right? So the time is it's shifted now, I would say. Like I, I used to say you could close your eyes and point your fingers around and buy that. And it's probably going to work out for you as long as you're not horrible as an operator. But those days are gone. I will tell you that right now. It, it is a definitely a more challenging market today. Yeah, th- those days are gone. I agree. So what do you do as an investor, as an operator? Me personally, I'm not just going to sit on the sidelines. I still have capital to allocate. I can't time the market. So I do the Wall Street thing of dollar cost average in real estate. But what do you do as an operator when things change so quickly? You have to be dynamic. You got to be ready to adjust. You have to be patient, I guess you would say. So our company now, we're not like a a company where we only do real estate. We all have other sources of income. So we tell people we're not fee-based. We don't need to do deals. We we do deals because we want to do deals. And there's a big difference there. Some people, their sole income comes from fees and getting deals transacted. So we're patient. We wait one thing that I will that helps me now is that 
all those, let's call it five or six years of kind of trenching through doing deals and becoming active and becoming an operator, you get to, you build confidence in knowing what is a deal, right? And that's where at the beginning, I didn't know what a deal was. I was like, oh, I think this is a deal. Let's do it. Now, today, I'm pretty confident when I look at the operator, the financials, the trailing financials, the projections, the future cap rate, I can conservatively say, okay, I feel comfortable with this, even with interest rates in mid sixes, even because of this, even because of this, it's all risk analysis. And the good investors become good risk analysis. Excuse me. They get good at analyzing risk. That is the key for good operators, good investors. And that goes for the active side and the passive side. As a passive investor, you need to analyze the risk of the deal and the operator of the deal. Do they know what they're doing? Do you trust them? Are they good people? The list goes on and on. I would say that's how you can get deals done in today's market is having confidence, knowing what you're doing, and then finding the right operators that do have deal flow or do have a great background and you trust them and they bring you a deal and you're like, let's do it, man. It's really interesting because you flipped on on its head one of the one of the negatives about operate and no no offense but operators like you sometimes you know when someone isn't full-time in real estate when they have a w-2 i've always said hold on a second you're doing this part-time i want a full-time professional not someone who's just doing this as a hobby but now especially since the market's changed you just flipped it on its head and said look we're not desperate to go out and buy crappy deals because we all have other income coming in so i think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And it's valid, right? It makes sense. Because now, if you aren't desperate, you're not going to get yourself in trouble. So can you talk a little bit about scaling this real estate business while also having a W-2 and all the other things that come along in life? How do you do them both? Because now you've just told me that my old paradigm of if they don't have a, if they have a W-2, I might be out. Now I'm like, oh, hold on. That's actually maybe a good thing. Yeah. And I want to, hopefully this speaks to some of the listeners in the sense that everybody would love to like scale in this business, but there's those limiting beliefs of I have a job. How am I going to do that? I can't be full-time. I'll say it's a couple things. Number one, it's limiting beliefs. Don't put those beliefs on yourself. We can do anything. And I can attest to that through, I wasn't supposed to make it to the NFL. All these things that I've gone through in my life are, they're just limiting beliefs. You can push past those. The other big part of it is team. And I, and this goes all the way back to team sports where what my W2 is now, it's team. You have to have a team, especially when you start getting into larger deals, you want to scale in this business. I think if you are full-time, maybe your team doesn't have to be as robust, but if you can put the right team and partners around you, you can accomplish this by each person doing their part. So you got to leverage the team. That's huge. And then I think mentorship is important. Getting the right people around you, learning how to do these deals. Don't jump in. Don't jump into something too big, too fast. I think that can hurt people at times. And then the last part is, what is your W-2? As a firefighter paramedic here in Cal, I work two days at the fire station and I'm off for four. That's my regular schedule. So I have 20 days a month, technically, to be doing real estate. So it's, it is, has to play if you're working a eight to, let's say, six and you're grinding every single day and there is no brain space for other things. Yeah, that's difficult. But I have plenty of extra brain space for real estate and time for real estate. So 
that helps. And then as do my partners, everybody has different schedules, but we use that. We know that sometimes some partners won't be on some calls, but that's okay because we trust that the guys can pick up the slack. So leveraging the team is absolutely crucial. If you're going to scale this business, keep a family. I'm married. I have three kids. I like to be involved in my kids' sports. I'm present when I'm at home. Time management's crucial, but get those limiting beliefs out of your head that you can't do this while you have a W-2 because it's totally false. Yeah, I love that. And I think you effectively also got the limiting belief out of some investors' minds of, I don't want to invest with someone who's also working their W-2 because you made up, you brought up a valid point and it makes sense. And you structured your W-2 employment to work with your real estate or vice versa. It doesn't matter which way. It all makes sense. And that's going through this process of analyzing and vetting sponsors. It doesn't have to be black and white. It doesn't have to be Garrett has a, has another job, so I'm out. I'm not even going to talk to him, right? It doesn't have to be that. And I think once you get to be able to tell your story, it makes complete sense and it gives people confidence. One of the one of the things that we most important part of this process for passive investors is vetting the sponsor and trying to get to know the sponsor and figure out, hey, do we get to that? You said people first. How do we get to that trust? And how do we analyze that? Hey, you're you're a person I want to invest with. So can you talk about some things, how you would vet a sponsor generally and then specifically How would you vet a sponsor like you that has maybe a large team of people who aren't full time? Because to be honest, that is not the normal standard way of doing it. Doesn't mean it's bad. It's just different. So how do we vet generally sponsors and how do we vet you particularly? Sure. We do this in our business. We raise capital for other deals that aren't necessarily ours. So we're partnering with them. We're bringing in capital. So we have due diligence on our end to vet the sponsors and our investors trust that we know what we're doing. We're good people pickers. But on a high level, you look at the deal, you look at, I'm I'm the underwriter for the group. So that's my job is to look at their underwriting and not the high level underwriting. I want their full model so I can see exit assumptions, rent growth assumptions, expense assumptions, having gone through and, and gone full cycle, done some heavy rehabs on all our deals. I have a general idea of what things cost. So if something is out of the ordinary, I will ask, you're going to rehab 100 units and you set 5,000 a door for 100 units. 5,000 a door doesn't get you a lot these days. That was like the standard like five years ago. What do, What's the lift look like, right? How? What kind of rehabs are you doing? So vet, this, vet the underwriting vet the deal partners. And I think also the market, let's not forget about that, right? What is it a growth market? Is it a non-growth market? Is there a story behind the deal? That's important to me. So we could do a deal in St. Louis, Missouri. It's not a big growth market, but did we buy the deal at a discount? Did we Was the owner in distress? Why do we think there is upside to this deal? So I think a deal story is super important. And then we talk about the people, right? I want to have multiple conversations with these operators. I want to go, if it's a big deal and we're placing capital in their deal, I want to go visit with them. I want to break bread. I want to see them face to face. I want to see, are they stable? We talk about stability, right? Are they taking their money and going and buying cars and out there like partying on the weekends and putting it on social media? Or are they professionals? Do they, sometimes I think about like, where are they at in life? Are they married? Do they have kids? What's important to them? What's their why? If they're going from deal to deal and taking their acquisition fee and buying the new car, and that's not stability to me, right? Because that's going to end at some point. And if things go bad and they've got all these 
liabilities that they have to pay for. Maybe they're going to fudge the numbers on the underwriting a little bit. Maybe that cap rate isn't that exit cap is a 50 basis points lower than it should be, which is going to totally change the returns for the at the investor level because they need to get the deal done because they need to get that $300,000 acquisition fee. It's not a simple answer to that question. I think it's a lot of things that go into that. But again, I will stress this and you'll hear it a bunch of times. It is people first. Deals will come. They will go. There's always going to be deals. The people thing is huge, man. You really got to bet the person and have that kind of gut feeling going into it. Hi, this is Zach Haptonstall, CEO and co-founder of Rise48 Equity. At Rise48, we partner with investors like you to purchase large apartment buildings that we renovate to increase the value and create a profit margin for our investors through monthly passive cash flow distributions and profits on sale. We're a vertically integrated company specializing in the Phoenix, Arizona, and Dallas, Texas markets with over 200-plus full-time W-2 employees who are focused on making sure your investment is taken care of. To learn more about Rise48 Equity's multifamily investments, schedule a call with me at rise48equity.com backslash invest. If you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably already thinking about ways to generate income passively and to reduce your tax burden. But did you know that you can retain more of your W-2 income by investing in oil and gas? As you might know, my income is generally passive, but if you're a high wage earner who still gets a large portion of your income from a W-2 job, this investment opportunity could help you hold on to more of your hard-earned money, which means you have the chance to make more passive investments. Billy Keels and the team at First Generation Capital Partners are experienced with investing in this sector, and they have a free download available for our listeners who want to learn more. To find out just how much you can save by investing in oil and gas, head to firstgencp.com slash LFI pay less tax and download your free guide. For choosing an operator, that's how I manage my how I view professionals of all sorts, right? I if I need an attorney, an accountant, financial advisor, I'm not going to the yellow pages. I'm going to my community getting referrals and then I'm vetting them similarly. Like, I don't want to, I've finally gotten to the point that I'm not going to do business with someone that I dislike. And that's got to be part of it, giving them a bunch of money. And you want to at least like the people you're working with, right? A hundred percent. And that goes, and this is the business partner side of things for your listeners that maybe want to get on the operating active side. They say, I'm going to go find a team. Okay, that's great. You should build your team out, right? But make sure those people align with you and it goes back to that stability. Where are they at in life? Do they have similar communication styles? Because being an entrepreneur, especially in this business, it's challenging. It's going to beat you up. It's going to punch you in the mouth multiple times. If you're doing business with people that you don't like doing business with, it's not worth it. I'm telling you. And I've experienced that. We've had to separate from partners. We've had to... It's. I don't want to go into too much, but it's challenging. Partnerships are challenging. So what I have through the last five years found a couple partners that these are my lifers, right? I want to do business with these guys for the next 20 years because we align so well on everything. Communication, we can trust each other, the ability to get their job done, like accountability is huge. So hopefully that will strike a chord with maybe some of your newer listeners who are hoping to build a partnership. It's just Make sure they align with where you're at in life. Make sure they are stable. That's critical, right? You want to align with your partners so that you're not, because in the easy times, you're just getting to know each other. There's no conflict. But when there's 
difficulty, that's where you have to still be able to work together and you can't just decide, oh, I don't like these guys. And now what? Now you're stuck. So I think that's great advice. When you're dating, I also call it dating, like the first six months of the relationship, right? Everything's great. You're going to make money. A deal looks great. The deal's going awesome. And then after that dating phase, that's when you start seeing true colors. And I've seen it multiple times now. And again, the people that I have aligned with for our company and future business, we've gone through good, the bad, and it's all good. The people that we've separated from, as soon as things get tight or there's a little bit of conflict, they start pointing fingers, there's no accountability, and then we're done. That's it. No, that, that's great stuff. You were a professional athlete and now a firefighter. Those are both pretty in, intense type of jobs. And how does that help you or does it relate to real estate investing? Because there's so many things you can do in real estate, but I would imagine that being at such a high level of an athlete and then doing life and death stuff in the firehouse, that's all got to just put your, put you in a mindset that maybe makes you more successful or just more driven. Maybe, I don't know. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. I think to me, football is the greatest team sport on earth. And so it teaches you at a young age how to interact with the team, which is crucial. It also teaches you accountability. We all know in football, there's 11 players on the field. If one, if you make a mistake, one guy makes a mistake, that can be a huge play. It could be a busted play. So every single play on that field, you are trying to do your job to the best of your ability through Tough times, good times. And if you do that, if you get to that mindset, most of the time you'll be successful. The other guy on the other side of the ball, he gets paid too. So he's trying to beat you and impose his will against you. You just got to keep going back and going back. So how do we relate that to real estate? <laughs> I just talked about it. Being an entrepreneur is challenging. There's, you know, nobody's forcing you to go to work. You got to do it. You got to put the work in. You got to put the time in. You're going to look at deals and think you're about to get this wonderful deal closed and all of a sudden the seller backs out or whatever the case is, right? You're going to get punched in the mouth. Do you have the grit and the determination to keep going? I'd say real estate investing is get rich slow. When you get into this thing, you're like, oh, I want to be financially free. I'm going to have all this cash flow coming in from all these rentals that I'm going to buy. It takes time. It takes effort. And most people that don't have the grit they fall off. They do one deal, something bad happens, and they never do a deal again. So I think the grit that I learned from football and also the fire service, that is absolutely crucial in being an entrepreneur. And again, working with the team is absolutely crucial. One little thing I'll add to that, and some people, maybe some of your listeners, and I've heard this before, they'll say, well, yeah, it's got to be easy for him. He had some money in the NFL, and he's got a bunch of connections in the NFL. He's got investors already. Those guys have lots of money to date. We've invested, or excuse me, we've raised about $5 million in capital. I don't have one NFL player that's invested with me, believe it or not. So it's that, it, that's that limiting belief, right? Oh, it'd be easy for him. He's in the NFL. He's got money. He's got had friends that got money. It's That's not the case. Do I want to show how important owning real estate assets are, whether active or passively, to my NFL friends and future NFL players? Absolutely. And that's part of my goal and my soon-to-be journey is to educate them and show them how powerful it is, but they haven't invested in me yet because they find reasons not to, or they have their money managers that say, oh, you should just put your money in the stock market. It's safe. It's going to, over time, it'll give you a good return. So I just want to throw that in there that it's not my background. It helps, but it's not helping me in the fact that I've got a bunch of investors just throwing money at me to put in real estate deals. And I think that's something that we struggle with at Left Field Investors too, is that we know that real estate 
is a better place to grow your wealth than the stock market. It just is, right? The biggest eroder of your wealth is taxes, and you don't pay taxes if you're doing real estate. And there's other reasons why real estate is so good, too. So our mission is to take this and just show people, regular people, hey, you can do this, right? It doesn't all have to be your 401k. And it's a similar thing you need to do when you go to your NFL community is like, look, of course your money manager, unless they have the one that you had, isn't going to say, yeah, go invest in real estate because that's money out of their pocket, right? So that's why you have to find these quality professionals. And it is a mindset shift. And people don't understand that you don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be a millionaire anymore to get into these deals. You can get into them for a lot smaller numbers. And I'm done with the, I was a financial advisor for a while trying to convince people of here's what the best thing for you to do is. I'm done with that. I'm just willing to share all the information I have. And if you want to join the ride, join if you don't. And I think it's probably the same with your NFL guys. Yep. Likewise, I completely agree. I'm going to I'm going to show them how powerful it is and whether I can't make them drink, I can lead them to the water, but I can't make them drink. But I have a feeling as I start talking about the experiences I've had in the last five years, they're going to want to come because it is so powerful. Every, everybody who's done it, and I'm sure your community can attest to that, once you actually do it and you start seeing the fruits of the labor, it's incredible. There's no other wealth generating tool like real estate. No, there's not. It starts off as this little snowball. You invest your first $25,000 and you get monthly, you get $167 and you're like, what the heck? And then three years later, you have $10,000 in monthly cash flow. You're like, oh, the snowball grew. One of the most exciting things for new investors or any investors when a deal goes full cycle, and I'm sure it's the same when you're an operator and you have your de- your first deal go full cycle. So can you talk to us about all good stuff, the bad stuff, everything that happened in the deal that you that went full cycle for you last year? Sure. I'll try to be quick because there's tons of stories. But um this was the first large apartment deal I've done. So 38 units, St. Louis, Missouri. I'd see class assets, C area. We bought it from, ironically, a guy who lives where I work in the Bay Area. When we found when we were doing the transaction, come to find out he was like, his home was five minutes from my station, which was like some super small world stuff, right? I always tell this story. He was, he'd owned the property for a year and a half. He was pretty much an owner that like hired a third party property manager, wasn't really involved, wanted the third party property management to do everything. He made, God, I can't remember exactly, 500 grand in a year and a half or something. So he bought it at a discount. He got rents up a little bit, but he didn't really do much. And then he sold it to us. And I remember looking at that going, God, are we making a mistake by buying this because this guy's making 500 grand. And so that's a limiting belief. I want to get that out of all of your investors' mind. Just because one person's winning doesn't mean the other person's losing. Okay. So that's the first lesson. Then we took this thing over. My underwriting sucked flat out. I didn't really know what I was doing. I had ballpark ideas. I understood what cap rates were. I could put a pro forma together. I knew there was going to be cash flow in the deal, but didn't really know how much. It was me and a partner. We went 50-50. It was a joint venture deal. So we didn't have any investors on this deal. I didn't want to bring investors in on my first big deal because I didn't know, really know what I was doing yet. I was learning. So we, we split the money 50-50. He was a local boots on the ground. I was the investor in California. Um, he did a great job. We turned out of the 38 units, I think we turned 28 of them over. We were doing rehabs like new kitchen boxes, new refinished flooring, new fixtures, new paint. And we turned, we, when we bought the thing, believe it or not, rents were 430 across the board. And we got them to about 650, including rubs in about two and a half years. So 
pretty decent upside on the rents. We had a fire at one of our units, completely burned the unit out. The firefighters across the street, I had to call them and ask about it. We had a property manager. We weren't super happy with our first property manager. We went with another property manager about year and a half, two years in. Within two months, we figured out he was a fraud. He ended up stealing $30,000 from us. He kept a whole month's rent to himself. We're actually still in litigation with this guy. So many bad things happened to us in this deal. I have a probably a couple other stories. But what we did do is we fixed the place up. We gave this C-class asset and this um, affordable housing community a safe, nice place to live. And we decided our three-year loan was coming up at the end of last year. We're like, I think it's time for us to sell this thing and move on. We were potentially going to refinance and hold it, but because it was such a headache property, we thought it'd be better to sell. We put it on the market. We asked a price that we were like, oh, if we get this, let's sell it. It'll be great. We had a dream buyer come in. He was looking for depreciation and his son was into real estate. So he was going to manage the property from like a local guy. And we sold. And I think my profit on that deal in two and a half years was about 650 grand. And everything went wrong on that. I don't say everything, but lots of things went wrong. And I still made the biggest paycheck I've ever made since I left football. Even during football, I never made that much in one season. So that's the power, right? And I, that's why I want to talk about that is like, I was afraid. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I definitely wasn't afraid to take action. You've got to get punched in the mouth a few times to learn from that. And then you see how powerful real estate can be. And then I was able to take the money that I made in that, put it into another deal that we just did, 138 unit, scale up to the largest deal that we've ever done and keep my money working for me and rolling it and fight the good fight against inflation that we're all fighting right now. Yeah, no, that's a great story. And it reminds me, I bought a 22 unit and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And it manager problems, all, a lot of the same things you were talking about. And when I sold it, I made a ton of money, but I sold it to someone that I knew, a buddy of mine, and I knew he was going to go out and double the value within a year because he was going to do things right. And I did most things wrong, but I still doing it wrong because the economy and everything was just growing. I still made a bunch of money, sold it, knowing that in 12 months he'd double and do you know better. But I just I didn't have the patience or the expertise to do that next double. So I ended up selling it, but it's just interesting. That's how it goes sometimes. You won and he's going to win or he is winning. And that's the thing. Like people think when they're buying a deal, oh, how can I win on this deal if this guy's winning? And you totally can. There's all sorts of creative ways to push value, lower expenses, get creative, operate the deal better. And that's what we try to educate our investors on is this is why we think we can double the value or triple the value, whatever it is. Oh, that's great. So what's next for Rise Equity? What's 2023 going to look like? What are you guys looking at? Yeah, we're pushing pretty hard again to start putting out more educational content. We want to educate our investors, tell our story, become more relatable on a personal level. I continue to look for deals. We like the Southeast, specifically in Georgia, in and around Atlanta. We have an asset there now. Super hot market, very competitive, hard to find deals. But we've got some teammates looking for deals constantly, even though we're not seeing a ton of deal flow right now. And then we are pushing hard to raise capital. And we have found some strategic partners where they've got some really good deals that we like. We vetted the operator and we'll be placing capital into their deals through a fund to fund type model. And then the investors, our investors interact with us. So we give them all the updates. We give them their distributions. We communicate because we pride ourselves on quality communication, prompt communication. And yeah, we want to grow Rise Equity into a larger 
commercial multifamily company that's going to be doing deals for decades to come. It's not going anywhere. And I've got partners, like I said, that are aligned for the next couple of decades. Matt and Matt Chambeau and, and Sean Cohen. Sean Cohen's active duty military. He works at the Pentagon. He is an absolute awesome dude to be working with. On our website, he writes all our content. He's a great writer. He's got three masters. So yeah, we're trying to educate, push out good quality information to our investors as well. Similar to you. Yeah, that's great. The more information, the more sharing. I love your abundance mindset where you're just going to share and we don't have to worry about competitors. You're just putting out information and things will land where they land and they usually land in good spots if you have that mindset. So I really enjoy that. Um, the last question I always ask is, what's a great podcast that you listen to, real estate or otherwise? And you can mention a couple if you're a, if you're a big podcast guy too. I, so I was a huge podcast guy and then I've scaled back. I'm doing more like Audible books right now, but I'm a huge fan of Hunter Thompson's Cashflow Connections. We actually, we just joined his mentorship, not what's the word I'm looking for, anyway, mentorship program. And he's amazing. His whole community is amazing. I think his information is more advanced macro economy, micro economy, where I'm at in my career is that I get great information from him, right? There's so many other good ones. Rod Cleaves, Bigger Pockets is still great. And there's different levels. Left field investors is also great. There's, you know, there's so many out there. I just think they're important to continue to listen to and to keep you motivated. When I get done with a Bigger Pockets one, even though I've heard most of the stuff that they've done on there, I get, I just listen to that. So I'm like, man, like that just motivates me. I want to go take action. I think that's what's so powerful about podcasts. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Th those are some good podcasts you mentioned. So if our listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I think uh, we've got some, so Garrett.McIntyre at rise with a Z R I Z E equity.com. That's my personal email. I love connecting with anybody, really questions, concerns. And then we've got a website, riseequity.com. That's rise with a Z R I Z E equity. We have a, a kind of ebook that Sean wrote on there and maybe your investors might like it. It's called rise of the challenge and it's a passive investors guide to what is real estate, how to vet operators. What is, what, how do you become a good passive investor? Because we are also passive investors. I have lots of my capital into other people's deals. So we have that's free on our website. And yeah, that's I think that's the best way to get hold of me. Awesome. We'll put all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much. This was really a great conversation. I love your mindset of people first and abundance. It's just fantastic. So thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. It was a pleasure. Aspen Funds has been a consistent supporter of left field investors. You may have seen Bob Frazier on an LFI webinar or at our October meetup in the left field speaking on investable megatrends for the next decade. Whether you're an accredited investor interested in mortgage note funds with a 10-year track record or other macro-driven alternative investments such as industrial, oil and gas, multifamily or retail, the Aspen Funds team is keeping track of the economic trends and co-invests on every deal right alongside you. Meanwhile, you get to do what you love and make every moment count. Download their free economic report today at aspenfunds.us slash LFI. Visor provides investors with a secure platform that displays a comprehensive view of all of their holdings on a single holistic dashboard. From real estate syndications to private equity, crypto to traditional investments with AI-driven, unbiased, honest insights to maximize return, Visor is your one place to rule them all. Automating performance tracking, 
projecting future cash flow, analyzing all your financial documents, and much more in one powerful solution, making it easy to follow the money. Sign up for a free 30-day trial now at Pfizer.co. Infielders get 15% off. I really enjoyed that conversation. A lot of good mindset stuff and a lot of good feedback on how to vet sponsors and look into all that stuff. But I always jump to the to the mindset stuff. He said multiple times, people first. And I believe that that's why I think our community is so great because of the people in it. But you need to build trust within your community or your team or if you have a bunch of partners when you're not the main partner of a deal or you're a capital raiser. You need to make sure that the partners you pick are people that you trust and you have to build that team, as he said. So when one person's not available, the other people can just jump right in. I love that stuff. And the limiting beliefs you need to just get over that. You've got to get rid of those limiting beliefs. And that's what Garrett did. He's one of those guys. He has a W-2. And as I said in the interview, mostly when I see someone having a W-2 and they're also an operator, I'm like, well, why can't you just do this full time? And he laid it out, right? He doesn't he has another job, but it's conducive to doing real estate as well because he's got 20 days off a month as a firefighter. So that's great. The other benefit that he showed was, especially in this market, if you're dealing with an operator who doesn't need fees and isn't going to just run out and find a deal because they need it to pay themselves and their staff, then it's an advantage to have that W-2. So there's pluses and minuses. And I think what I learned from that is I need to make sure that I'm keeping my mind open and not shutting off just because oh, you have a W-2, I'm out, I'm not interested. Don't wanna be that. Or, hey, you're brand new, you've never done a deal before as an operator, I'm never gonna talk to you. That also, you can still have relationships, build relationships and decide when to invest when it's the right time for you. But I think we need to be open, more open to all different types of operators. And I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do that moving forward. I'm gonna have a little bit more acceptance of something that is different because just because he has a W-2 doesn't mean I automatically need to avoid him. Now, there are some that have W-2s. And like you said, if you're working a nine to five, it might be more challenging. So just some open your mind type stuff that he was talking about. I love that. And then he's talking about teams. And one of the things he likes about the team is it creates accountability. So when you set up your team, you have to make sure that you are in alignment with everybody, that you all pushing in the same direction, but also that you have created accountability structures. Because if you're all rowing in the same direction, but no one's accountable to each other, then it's gonna fall apart at some point. So accountability is critical. And I love that he mentioned that. But my favorite thing that, that I got from Garrett was just because one person is winning doesn't mean the other person is losing. That's great stuff. And he pointed out that's the deal I talked about where I sold to a buddy of mine where we both won, right? I made all the money I could out of that deal and I couldn't do any more. And I sold it to him knowing that he was gonna double it in another year. But that was okay, we're both winning. And that's what you want. If you can get into more and more transactions where the people you are transacting with are winning and you're winning, fantastic. That's what we want. So great episode. Thanks to Garrett for coming on. Definitely gonna keep track of these guys moving forward. That's all we have. We'll talk to you next time in the left field.
Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.